Hi, my name is Karu. I'm from London, and this episode is brought to you by MPW. Have you found the process of setting up your home studio confusing or overwhelming? Or do you feel like you need to spend a lot of money to have a decent setup? If so, grab a free copy of MPW's Getting Started in Music Production Checklist, which has their top recommendations for building your home studio on a budget, what to look for when buying gear, and tips on how to start with what you already have. Use the link in the show notes to download the checklist now. Uh, what am I saying? This is MPW, 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 the podcast with your host, Zylo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the MPW podcast. I'm your host, Zylo Aria. And I'm here today with Dan Cox. So Dan, for those who don't know, won the MPG Breakthrough Engineer of the Year. And he's also worked with so many incredible artists, including Florence and the Machine, Leanne Le Havas, Flume and Nao, just to name a few. So hello, Dan. Hello. Uh, nice to meet you. Yeah, very glad to have you here. And thanks for um, meeting us this morning. And um yeah, we met last night, actually, for we the did. first time. Yes, by complete chance. <laughs> yeah, so we ended up being at the same event at BBC Introducing Live in London. And I, I saw Dan across the room. I'm like, I've been stalking him a little bit before this episode. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Dan. And gave him some weird looks, but luckily he didn't get too freaked out and then actually had a chat with me afterwards. So. <laughs> So that was lovely, and um, yeah, you pulled up all right this morning. Which I pulled is good. up all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, uh, no mishaps on the way in. It was yeah. all right. <laughs> lovely, lovely. So um, uh, today we are talking about microphones. So you've got some great information to share with us. I have some and knowledge, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Some, <laughs> some good knowledge, which we will get into. But before we do that, I would love to hear about your journey into music production and what got you excited about it and mm. how did you end up in this gorgeous studio, by the way, in Urchin Studios, which is Dan's studio. And, um, and yeah, so tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So um, I, I, got, I kind of got into production, I guess, uh, like the starting point was the same starting point for, I think, probably almost every producer or engineer. I was I was playing an instrument, I, I played guitar, I had a band, um, and I just kind of started to get curious about, oh, how do you, uh, how do you record this stuff? You know, maybe we should, so I bought a little, little four track, um, started playing around with that, got myself, uh, well, got myself a mic, which is also even better yeah, for using with helpful. a four track. It wasn't that useful before I had the mic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and it just kind of, the interest just kind of grew from there. And um, then I went and studied a SAE, did a audio engineering diploma, and then very soon, well, a year after, but this is quite soon in relative terms, mm-hmm. um, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to open a studio with the drummer of the band that I was playing in. Wow, that is soon. That was pretty, so. It was only, I was interning in an, another studio for a year, and our our mutual friend Gordon Raphael. Um, famous for producing Is This Hit by The Strokes, um, mm. which is a pretty important album. Still, however however many years on, I think it's 18 years on, still a record that 
gets mentioned all the time in recording sessions with people that I'm working with. They go, oh, yeah, we'll try and get that stroke sound. Wow. Um, he, uh, he had set up a studio in London for a few years after making that record, and then he decided to move to Berlin. Mm-hmm. And his studio in London was essentially vacant. And that gave Matt and I an opportunity uh, to basically to get to get started with Gordon's help. Mm. Um, and that's basically, that was 2007. And basically we've just been doing that yeah. ever since. It's grown. It's mm. got more sophisticated. We've, we've relocated. That studio wasn't where we are now. Right. So that original studio was in Limehouse. Okay. Um, and uh, then in 2012, we took uh, the decision to move out of that space and move into this one, which is entirely purpose-built. Mm. Everything you see here, none of you can see this on the po- uh, <laughs> None of you listeners can see it. Um, but it's all it's all purpose-built. It's all we had a, a blank shell mm. of a studio space, and we essentially kind of built our our dream studio, which is where wow. we are now. Wow! Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. It's so such a beautiful place, and um, and it's pretty gutsy move for for both of you when you started, I guess. And um, yeah, but I mean, it's <clears throat> and I was actually talking about this yesterday when I did a panel um at BBC Introducing. I was saying it is opportunities present themselves, mm. and um, something like that when someone goes, "There's this studio space which is available. Do you guys want to take it on?" people don't say that to people very often you know mm-hmm. so it was a real kind of right are we going to do this the opportunity's there it's there's time to take it i mean mm-hmm. i wasn't expecting to open my own studio when yeah. after i'd been interning for a year yeah but it just kind of happened and when the when these opportunities come up you just got to grab them yeah that's it yeah that seems to be a kind of similar theme from a few other people we spoke to, you know, things just come up when you don't really expect them. And if, yeah. you know, I were to ask you three years before that happened, if that's where you thought you'd end up, mm. it probably wouldn't be the case. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of had, yeah, until, until, <laughs> until we got the call, it was just like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, Matt, Matt, I, re- I remember Matt walking in the room going, do you, uh, I've just spoken to Gordon and he's like, he's like, do, do you want to open a studio? <laughs> you know, we discussed. It wasn't like we'd never thought of working together. We yeah. decided about six months previous to um, <clears throat> to be a production team. Mm-mm. So I was going to sort of engineer. He was going to produce, and that was going to be our setup. But we didn't. We decided to do it, but we had no means to do it mm-hmm. because we had no studio to work out of, no track record. So opening the studio was the means of establishing mm. what we were doing yeah yeah uh, and then of course there's a the little problem of uh, no one knows who you are and you've got <laughs> still got no track record but at least you've got a space to, yeah. to work in yeah 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 no incredible so today of course as as i mentioned before we're talking about microphones so um usually what we do at the start of the episode is define the topic whether it's mixing or mastering but i mean the general gist of what a microphone does. I think most people would understand. Yeah, we're using them right now. You can hear us <laughs> because there are microphones. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's that's a great definition, I think. Um, good good place to start. We won't, so, we, we won't use the word, well, I will use the word transducer. It's a transducer, but it's... That that's just like the science of it is is irrelevant. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about is obviously there are a few different types of microphones, mm-hmm. but 
if you were to define them under, you know, a couple of the main categories that yeah. you'd use most often, yeah, what would they be? So I would say that there are three main microphone types. Some people would say there's two, but in terms of the way that I use mics, there's certainly three. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got um, what we call dynamic microphone, mm-hmm. you've got a condenser microphone, and you've got a ribbon microphone. That that covers kind of 97% of microphone types. There are a couple of other mics that work in slightly different ways, mm-hmm. um, but they're pretty um, kind of eccentric and um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just pretend that they yeah. don't exist for the Great. purpose of this. Yeah. Um, in terms of the way that you use them, they they have certain properties which lend themselves to certain uses. So starting with a dynamic microphone, um, that's it's a bit that's kind of like um, that's just sort of workhorse. It's it's mm-hmm. tough. It's it's uh, like f- physically, it's a microphone that you can kind of pick up and put down and feasibly drop if, or someone can hit it with a drumstick or something and it would probably survive <laughs> yeah and they're just kind of plug and play you don't have to do anything in particular mm-hmm. to get them working you just plug the cable in um they're typically a cardioid pattern um which will skim past yeah. just for the minute um but your dynamic mic it's it's a he- it's a kind of heavy construction it can deal with loud sounds quite well mm-hmm the actual the diaphragm of it, which mm-hmm. is the part of the mic which actually c- kind of collects the signal, um, is physically quite heavy, mm-hmm. which means it, it can deal with loud sounds, but it's also not perhaps as sensitive mm-hmm. as uh, the other the other types of microphone. Yeah. Um, so a condenser microphone is the second category. Um, that's the type of microphone we're actually using right now. Mm-hmm. So you can hear our voices through a, a condenser. Um, the they're a little bit more fragile, um, but that's because the again I mentioned the diaphragm. It's much lighter. It's and that makes it much more sensitive. Mm. Um, and the key in terms of the use, the the way that you use these microphones, um, like I said, a dynamic mic you just kind of plug it in and go. Mm-hmm. A condenser mic you have to supply a voltage to it called phantom power. Mm-hmm. There's nothing particularly complicated about that. It's just a button that you press. Mm-hmm. Um, but if uh, if you go and buy a condenser microphone and for the, you've never used one, you plug it in and you go, oh, it's not making any sound. It's because you haven't uh, put the phantom power on. It's just a button that you press, yeah. basically, to turn it on. And then dynamic mics don't need phantom power. Mm. It's usually okay if it's on. Um, but actually best practice is to only put the phantom power on condenser mics Mm, mm, yeah Um, and they uh i mentioned again i mentioned polar patterns they usually have a variety of polar patterns yeah yeah um and then the third type is the ribbon mic Mm -hmm. which is actually the oldest of the three microphone designs so if you see um kind of pictures of the bbc in the 50s Mm. they have these big chunky um, you can't see my hands (laughs) but they're big they're um much bigger than the mics that we tend to see today yeah um those are all ribbon mics that was the kind of the 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 dominant design in uh, in the in the 50s Um, yeah yeah and they are much much more delicate in construction there's a tiny little metal ribbon in there i see and they're they're 
they're not actually as sensitive as, say, a condenser mic. Mm -hmm. um, but sonically, they've got kind of a much smoother property to them. Mm. So dynamic mics are kind of darker and tougher kind of sounding. Condensers are sort of kind of brighter, cleaner, crisper. Yep. And ribbon mics have a sort of a smoother sound to them. Right. Okay, cool. And I know this probably depends on a lot of things and what kind of sound someone's trying to get from the recording. Mm. But would you say that because uh, dynamic mics are so sturdy, they're more likely to be used in the live setting um, and condenser mics, uh, because they're a bit more fragile, are what you'd use typically in a studio setting? Um, you can use, I mean, certainly live, you tend to go for, stick to dynamics mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, the practicalities of they're going to be taken up and put down and people singing into them, perhaps bashing into them. Yeah. They fall on, you know, if it's like a, if it's a kind of noisy band or something, yeah. um, they can physically be beaten up quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but actually, I mean, I would say personally, I used dynamic mics as much as, uh, I use condensers in the studio. Okay. But dynamic mics, you would, you tend to, they tend to work at their best on loud things. So mm. drums, amplified guitars, mm -mm. brass, they're usually quite good on something like brass. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're coming to recording something a bit more delicate, say acoustic guitar or, um, or strings or something, a condenser mic is going to be much better for that kind of application mm. because they, they've got more sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, they tend to, uh, be kind of more responsive to, um, what we call dynamic range, which dynamic range is simply loudness and quietness and the difference yep. the difference between getting loud and getting quiet mm -hmm. but equally I've um I've, I've probably recorded every combination of you know I've recorded drums entirely with condenser mics oh, and right. entirely with dynamic mics usually use a combination of the two yeah um and then strings ribbon mics usually sound really nice on strings mm -hmm. because they've got that smoothness to them yeah but sometimes they can feel a little bit flat Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on the material, really. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It depends. <laughs> it all depends. There's no rules. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all right. I was yeah. expecting it, but yeah. no, that's helpful. That's helpful. So, if someone was going shopping for a mic, mm. for example, and uh, you know there are a few different things to consider. Yeah. What would you say they are? Or what, what would they need to think about? Well, the first thing that you always consider whenever you're buying any piece of audio equipment is the price. Yes, of course. <laughs> because um, everyone's got their budget and mm -hmm. it you can spend you can spend fifty pounds on a mic and it'd be pretty good. Or you can spend I mean I, I don't know what the most expensive mic is, but you could spend over ten thousand pounds on a kind of rare vintage microphone or something. So there's a huge range. There's a huge range. Um, at the at the end of the day, they're all going to record something, mm -hmm. and it, you you will you will achieve the task of recording the thing that you're mm -hmm. trying to record. Um, if you're buying one mic, you want to think about its different applications, and actually, well, you want to think about what you're what you're going to be recording with it. Mm -hmm. If it's just vocals, which is to be honest, is quite 
is usually the if I get asked, well, what mic should I buy? That's usually the thing that the yeah. person's recording, and they, yeah. get, and they go, yeah, I'm, I'm doing vocals, maybe a bit of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, a condenser is usually the best choice for that um, because it's got because uh, it's got that sensitivity. Condensers usually sound good on um, on vocals, mm-hmm. unless unless you're unless you're kind of really yelling into it in which case there's other dynamic dynamic mics that might be quite useful mm-hmm. um so yeah it depends <laughs> <laughs> so there's um so if you're not doing vocals which is is kind of an unusual thing because normally mm. you're recording vocals at some point yeah um a yeah, a condenser mic if you're recording electric guitar one condenser mic is probably not the best you're you're better off with a dynamic mic because it's just a bit but again a bit of a tougher mm-hmm. a tougher thing um the uh, the other thing as well to consider is the um the polar patterns mm. that come with the mic um even if you are just doing vocals different polar patterns will make things sound different mm-hmm. um you're kind of your 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 sort of bog standard polar pattern is what we call cardioid mm-hmm and that means it's um it sounds kind of obvious but you point the mic at the thing yeah. and it picks up what's in front of it yeah. and it doesn't pick up what's behind it so if i go around the back of this mic now yeah i uh, I, I disappear and then i come back because it's uh, this mic's on a cardioid pattern mm. um so that's a useful thing because it means that um you can exclude other sounds in the room mm-hmm. but there's also um there's two other main patterns. You can blend them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's what we call um, a figure of eight, which is also directional, mm-hmm. but as well as recording the thing that's directly in front of it, it will record what's directly behind it as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which, when I first, when I was at college, I thought, I, and sort of came across, I thought, that that sounds really annoying. You know, <laughs> that's an annoying property. Yeah. I don't want it to record the thing behind me. Um, but there is ways that you can use that mm-hmm. because they, the directionality of it normally is actually more than um, a dynamic mic. Mm. So uh, that's a good way to explain this. A dynamic mic, will it's pointed at the thing that it's pointed at, but it's also... Um, it's kind of like a widescreen thing so it's as well as picking up what's directly in front of it it's going to be picking up things that are off to an angle mm-hmm. everything about to kind of a hundred uh, would it be 90 degrees off what you're pointing out yeah so that means it will pick up things off to the side mm-hmm. as well as what's in front of it whereas a figure of eight actually is um is a lot more directional front than back. that yeah, yeah exactly and although you've got that back pickup the the sides of it, for example, are really really um, cut uh, out. Cut out exactly. Mm. Yeah. So you can use them if, particularly if you've got more than one sound source in a room. Yeah. They're great for just kind of cutting the side. Right. Yeah. The, the, the sort of the, the spill from the sides off. Yeah. So is it like the front and the back? Would it be equal almost? They, yeah, they yeah. are equal. Okay. Um. So you do have to think about where that back of the mic is pointing yeah yeah yeah. um the other thing i'd mention about figure of eight and also omnidirectional um so omnidirectional just means 
every direction. Okay, so it's all around. Yeah. In like a spherical shape. In a yeah, an absolute okay, absolutely spherical shape. Right. They're normally there is normally some sort of directionality to them, okay. but it's in kind of practical terms, you just go it's just picking up every direction. Right. Which in some circumstances is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah. In other circumstances, say if you've got a drum kit and you put a room mic up, mm. a room mic is just. Uh, it's there to capture the sound of the room so you put it away from the drum kit mm -hmm. an omni mic in that situation is quite fun because it's it's picking up a much more complete picture of the way the room sounds mm -hmm. but the interesting thing about these three patterns is that you can combine them so a lot of mics have switches where you can kind of blend between them and you get a bit of uh, a bit of cardioid and a bit of figure of oh. eight but the other thing as well to mention is proximity effect Sounds a bit like a jargon term, yeah. But what it what it essentially means is that when you get you know when you get really close on the mic like that, yeah, it kind of the sound gets um, more kind of bassy, mm -hmm. um, and then when you get further away, it kind of kind of thins out a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's what we call proximity effect, right? And you get that with the cardioid patterns, mm -hmm. but you don't get it with omni and figure of eight, right? Okay. So you can use those things creatively, and that's the reason. You quite often when you're doing vocals, you'll use a cardioid pattern because it'll give you that kind of larger than life mm. enhanced sound. But you don't always want that. Sometimes you want to record things in a more natural way, mm -hmm. say like an acoustic guitar or something. Um, I'll use figure of eight probably a little bit more often than I would use um, cardioid, for example. With a... Um, Acoustic guitar? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's kind of 50-50 because sometimes you want an acoustic guitar to have a bit of weight to it and sometimes you purposefully don't. Mm -hmm. So you make you make these choices according to how you want things to sound. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So I feel like you've covered quite a bit <laughs> of what I was going to ask in like <laughs> one giant question, but that's that's all right. That's good. That's good. So, so we talked about so three main types of mics. Yeah. So we, we had the dynamic the um, condenser and the ribbon mic. That's great, yeah. And then we had three main polar patterns, yeah. which was the cardioid, yeah. the figure of eight, and the omni, yeah. which is everything. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really nice kind of summary of the main aspects of mics, mm. I guess. And when we're looking for what to buy, there's obviously the budget, there is the thing that you're trying to record and mm. what you want to get out of it. And then the polar patterns as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, when I first went mic shopping, I didn't know anything about the polar patterns. But I did do what you said about, like, plugging it in. And then I was like, why is this not working? <laughs> yes. There's something <laughs> wrong with this mic. Call, like, Audio Technica. That was my mic. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So it, it, ha it happens to everyone. <laughs> happens to me all the time. I, sometimes I go, like, why is this yeah. not plugged in? Is the cable broken? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I'm an I'm supposed audio professional. Yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> so it, it happens, happens to everyone. Happens you to just everyone. miss the switch. It's it's uh, it's nothing to be embarrassed. No, about. exactly. <laughs> and like when we were uh, plugging in today, and I was like, "Why is my mic not working?" And it was just not plugged in. So yeah. it took me a second and I, to work and I, that. And that out. happens to me once a week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it happens. Nothing to be ashamed of. And phantom power, for those who don't know, is like a switch in your audio interface. So you have like a little, like a button or like a knob or something that says like phantom power 48 
plus 48. volts. You usually say 48V, 48 48 volts. Yeah. yeah. So um, just make sure that's turned on and then you should be fine from yeah. there. So um, and, and I should do the obligatory health warning about phantom power and ribbon mics. Oh. Which is phantom power should not be applied to ribbon mics. Okay. Um, potentially destroy the ribbon mic okay. by applying phantom power. Good to know. So dynamic mics will... Uh, you know, best practice is is to turn it off, mm-hmm. but they don't mind. But mm. ribbon mics do mind. Okay, yeah. So health good warning. warning good warning. Ribbon mics. Yeah, don't want to kill that. But another thing that you hear about quite often is noise floor. So mm. do you want to talk a bit about that? So yeah, so noise floor in mic terms is it's it's the noise that the mic makes on its own. Mm. So it's the sound of the electronics. Right. I mean, it is something to think about, but to be honest, if, if you're buying new mics, they've usually got a really low noise floor. Mm-hmm. And by low noise floor, what what that means is there, there there is a hiss. Every piece of electronic, every piece of electronics generates some sort of hiss. Mm-hmm. Older stuff typically generates more of it, but it basically means if, say, we were to sit here in complete silence and we turn the the gain on the mic up really mm-hmm. loud we'd start to hear some hiss mm-hmm. it's not normally a problem with condenser mics mm-hmm. unless they're old or possibly maybe if there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. dynamic mics because you're usually using them with louder things you're not normally adding a lot of gain gain means kind of amplification essentially yeah you know the, the loudness of the thing that you're recording will massively outweigh uh that 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 kind of background hiss that that noise mm-hmm. with ribbon mics it particularly older ones like one of my favorite mics is the coles 4038 okay which is a vintage designed ribbon mic because the they even the new ones they still make them the way that they did in i think it's the, the 50s they started making them mm. they do have a bit of a bit of hiss on them but a right. bit of that noise floor right so that can make it unsuitable for i don't know if i'm if i'm recording um a delicate violin mm. um that that noise floor of the mic might start to get a bit annoying mm. but yeah you, you, you kind of make creative choices about these things yeah. so some sometimes a bit of a bit of hiss is actually quite nice yeah it's, rather than having that complete Nothing. digital Silence. just cold <laughs> landscape and also when you start to listen out for it on your on your favorite records mm. not so much like kind of modern pop stuff but even kind of like big records from the 80s have got mm. quite a lot of mm. kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like sometimes I just add that into my songs just yes. because it it adds some sort of warmth to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it can it can make it feel you you don't you don't really want to be unsure whether your speakers are switched on. Yeah. You know. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what can happen sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. And you mentioned budget before, which mm. obviously is something that we all need to think about. Yeah. Would you say if you're spending more, you're always getting a better mic. This is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. <laughs> um, y- yes and no. Like, if you spend a thousand pounds on a mic, it's going to be a good mic. Mm. Um, but that said, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better if you're using it for the wrong application. Mm. By wrong application, I don't mean there's a set of rules that you must abide by yeah. in order to make a great recording. Every different mic has, has a different tone to it. Mm-hmm. And I've got expensive mics and I've got cheaper mics. And the cheaper mics are not 
inferior. Mm. It's it's just they've got different characteristics. So condenser mics, for example, tend to be the most expensive ones because mm-hmm. they kind of got this delicate finesse to them. And those those are the ones you can easily spend thousands on. Yeah. Um, but you don't need to spend a lot of money to get a great result. Sometimes mm. if I'm working with a singer, you might try a few different mics on their voice and you go, well, actually, you know what? This, this one here that costs about two or 300 quid or something, sometimes that's better mm. than the one that costs two grand. Mm. So it's, it's more about, yes, it's nice to have these lovely expensive things, but they're not always the best for the application. It's just yeah. kind of, it's just kind of, like vo- voices in particular, everyone's voice is different. Yeah. And most people's voices are different on different days even. But the right the right mic for one singer is not the right mic for another singer. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I'm constantly reminding people of. Mm. Yeah. No, that's... I have to remind myself as well. Sometimes I go like, oh, let's get the expensive one out. Let's get the U87 up because yeah. that's, uh, you know, that will make it sound more more plush yeah and then yeah. you hear the singer and you go actually that really doesn't that's <laughs> just not it sounds a bit weird and thin and then you get get one of the cheaper ones out or you try them on a dynamic and you go well the dynamic's just a bit more um you, yeah particularly if someone's singing really loud or something then yeah sometimes like a dynamic might might be better yeah yeah mm. yeah no that's uh it's good good summary of the budget thing and like so my first mic was a Audio Technica AT2020, mm. and I still love it. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, uh, I mean, these mics that we're using now are quite a bit more expensive than that one, but um, or a bit more expensive. And um, yeah, it's just something about that. I, I just love it on my voice. And yeah, well, the, the, I mean, the we've got uh, an AT4033 uh, or a couple of those, mm. which are very similar to the 2020. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they 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 will hold up. Next to a U87, they've got comparable sounds in terms of the way that they make things sound. Yeah. But sometimes the the audio technique is a little softer. Yeah. And that sometimes matches up with people's voices yeah. better. And sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So it all depends, guys. It, it, it all depends. depends. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So if you were, and I'm sure this is going to be a difficult question, but if you were to have one mic, mm. like your favorite all-round mic. Yeah. What would that be? Someone actually asked me this on a session. Oh, okay. About two or three days ago. So you had had a think. I've had a think about yeah. this, but I I it didn't take me long to answer. Okay. Um, it's the Shure SM7B. Oh, um, right. Okay. More commonly known as the SM7. The B yeah. is, I think, it's a minor variation. Mm. And the reason I would go with, and that's a dynamic mic, by the way. Yeah, um, it's quite popular for podcasting, isn't it? It's a lovely. It's a lovely mic to talk into. Yeah. It's a lovely mic to sing into. Mm. Get a bit harsh sometimes with certain singers, but mm. most of the time when you put an SM7 up in front of someone, you go, yeah, yeah that's that's that sounds pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. It's the versatility of it. I can't. There's not many things that I feel like I couldn't record well. Mm-hmm. You can use it in. A, you can, sounds great on snare. Mm-hmm. Sounds great on a guitar amp. Sounds great even as a kick drum mic. It's okay. maybe not the best, but yeah. you, you you go, okay, work. well, I can get away with that. That'll work well. Mm-hmm. Brass, loads and loads and loads and loads of things. And, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be my first choice for something like strings or okay. like a drum overhead or an yeah. acoustic guitar, but it would work. Mm. It would You'd still get a decent result from that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Cool, cool. No, that's that's good. Um, so I think we've covered like most of the questions that we had about mics, but mm. before I go on to some of our questions from the audience, what would you say your favorite aspect of your job is? Um, it changes day to day, but I think overall it's, uh, it's the people mm. actually it's to work with so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and musicians generally on the whole are lovely. You know, (laughs) just get up in the morning and I go to the studio and, you know, I might be working a really long day. I might be doing like a 12 hour day or more or something, which is that can be quite tiring. But Mm. I'm spending my time with lovely people most of the time. Yeah. um, Which is awesome. Yeah. And as a part of that as well, you're helping them realize, you know, their their art Mm. without sounding too sort of um, airy fairy. You're you're helping someone create something that they want to create you're kind of enabling them you're going on this little part of their journey mm-hmm. as well there's a trust you know they trust you with the with their music mm-hmm. so you kind of share in the thing that they've created for a little while um so it's, it's that really yeah yeah oh, lovely obviously i like i love playing around with plugins and mics and things that's that's great fun as well but yeah. it's actually the people yeah it's yeah the thing oh lovely yeah no that's good and um the most challenging part of your job um the most cha- the people no <laughs> <laughs> challenging people um i'm sure that happens as well but <laughs> i think it i mean well it, it does relate to it like sometimes i find this is a lifestyle yeah it's a yep. career it's a vocation but it is a lifestyle as mm. well because when you're working long hours you can end up a little bit kind of cut off from the world mm. lacking a bit of sleep mm-hmm. that can be a difficult thing to kind of just making just make sure you're taking care of yourself mm-hmm. um, and not just kind of getting overworked and, mm. and you get, you know, you get more tired and then you get more stressed mm. more easily. Mm-hmm. That can be tough at times when you've yeah. got a really busy schedule. It's yeah. just kind of making sure that um, you're kind of staying healthy, staying motivated. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing. It's so different from other jobs, you know, where mm. you, you have a set time and then you go home at a certain time and then hopefully not really think about it. But when it's something that you love doing so much, yeah. then you, you can just work forever and then not yeah, realise Exactly. It. Yeah, I mean, I in, in running a, at my own studio, I set the hours, mm, mm. which is normal. I normally work 10 to 8 and Matt does as well. Matt's the other yeah. um, guy who works here. And that's actually, that that's still a 10-hour day. Mm. That's still, if you even work five days yeah, yeah that's yeah. still 50 hours yeah. it's still quite a lot yeah um more than a lot of people work but if you haven't got the best out of the day in 10 hours staying another or till two in the help. morning yeah it usually doesn't um sometimes it's necessary if there's mm. a deadline to mm. meet um but you're not usually at your best after that yeah. kind of time mm. yeah so um yeah 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 i think some timelines and <clears throat> deadlines are good to to kind of keep you on track a bit of structure yeah 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 exactly exactly but so we've got a couple of questions from a few people around the world so we've got one from robin lovecchio from la so hello robin (laughs) so robin asks do you usually pair a mic to a voice or are there other things to consider so you touched on this a little bit earlier Mm. i've usually got a hunch about you know if 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 I haven't worked with a singer before, I'll usually just have a kind of in, instinctive hunch where mm-hmm. I go, well, I think this mic's gonna gonna be the right thing. Okay. But that call that I make 
is correct as as often as it is incorrect, if that mm. makes sense. Yep. Because actually, you never know until you hear someone singing through the mic whether it's a really good match or something. And sometimes you don't have time. Mm. Sometimes you just got to kind of get the mic up and off you go and yeah. you know, no, no time to lose. Yeah. But if there is time to try a few different mics, even choosing ones that you think will be wrong, mm. just to confirm that they're wrong. Yeah. That's a very worthwhile thing because sometimes you're completely surprised. You go, oh, I thought that one was going to sound awful, but mm. actually it's really perfect. It's really good. Yeah. Um, the other things to consider are, I did mention this earlier, but polar patterns. Mm. Normally you record vocals with a cardioid pattern, but you don't have to. If a singer is kind of sounding a bit overly bassy or something, switch the pattern. Mm. Try a different pattern. Mm-hmm. You do need to be recording them in a room that, sounds good mm-hmm. like a vocal booth or something or at least a space that sounds pleasant yeah um because as soon as you do take off the cardioid and you switch to an, like obviously an omni yeah you're getting everything um, you're gonna pick up everything in the room an omni mic in the in the right circumstances is amazing mm-hmm. with a singer but um but yeah it's just the practicalities of it can be mm. uh can be a bit of a pain yeah, yeah <laughs> um, i'm sure but and and the other thing to think about is very simple. It's just dis- distance from the microphone. Mm. It was something that I, for the first couple of years of engineering and producing, I it just hadn't. I wasn't really thinking about it. But sometimes yeah. you you can actually do quite a lot of kind of EQing of the sound just with the distance from the mic. Right. There's generally a bit of a, a distance from the mic that sounds good. Yeah. But you can you can kind of play around with it a little bit. Yeah, well, this was actually a question of mine, which I've forgotten to ask, but mm. is there like a general rule of thumb when you're recording vocals of mm. the distance that usually works um, or is it well, know, what you want to achieve? I mean, there's normally a pop shield involved when you're recording any kind of speech and a pop shield is there. Uh, it's that weird circular disc, <laughs> uh, which I can see two of right now. Um <laughs> yeah. It's got kind of this material stretched over it, yeah, which is a bit like sort of tights. Like t- you know, I made my first pop shield, <laughs> yeah. which was because I had like a sewing thing. If anyone sews, I'm I'm an old person really <laughs> at heart, so I sew and knit and stuff all the time. But um, yeah, it's like a sewing thing, and and I'd put like two pairs of stockings above it, mm. and just like held it in front of my mic, which it, it works. Fine. It works as well as the best pop shields. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, the 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 purpose of that is to stop the the P's and the B's mm. because those sounds create a literal gust of wind, and if that hits the mic diaphragm, you get kind of boomy noises and mm. un- unpleasant things that you don't want. Yeah. So in terms of the actual distance from the mic, um, with a condenser, you want to be about the distance you are now. So that's okay. uh, what's that about twenty centimeters, yeah. something like that. That's usually a good starting point. Mm-hmm. And you also want to make sure that the singer isn't kind of hasn't got their face kind of touching the pop shield. You actually mm. need the pop shield to be a few centimeters back or, mm. or inches for the, these uh, yeah. North Americans, because actually you can defeat the the pop shield if you're right on top of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so and those are kind of best practice things. To yeah. Watch out for. Okay, and some people say like for the mic to be kind of lower than your mouth or some mm. people say a bit higher and yeah. uh, there's so many different um things uh sometimes it can make a difference yeah. I, it's not usually the first thing on my mind there is a theory that if the mic is kind of pointing at a slightly downward angle then 
when the singer's mouth is open, their tongue is visible to the mic. Okay. Uh, and that's obviously softer than if it's if the mic's pointing upwards, you're getting the roof of the mouth. Right. Which is a sort of more reflective oh, okay. surface. That's the theory. I see. I've personally never found that... Makes that... a massive difference. But... Yeah, and... The problem with that kind of thing, again, this is very much an opinion thing, but the more you load the singer with things yeah. to remember, yeah. the more they're thinking about other things in their performance. That's true. That's very true. If a singer's really concerned about those things and is like, I'm, I insist on getting these things right, then yeah, you explain them to them. Mm. But psychologically, uh, and there's so much about what goes on in the studio that mm. is psychology. Yeah. And that can come down to expensive microphones as well. Yeah. Sometimes a singer will sing better into a more expensive microphone because yeah. they know it's a more expensive microphone mm. and they just get fired up. They're like, yeah, that's <laughs> expensive gear. You can experiment with things like distance of the mic and angles and things. Yeah. But you, the most important thing as a singer is just to be relaxed. Yeah, and yeah. Thinking about your performance. That's very mm. true. Yeah, that's very true. And and some of my favourite recordings I've just got with me like sitting in bed just because I'm totally relaxed. And yeah. even though like I'm not thinking about all these other things and mm -hmm. it's not on a proper stand and stuff. So, and I was talking to Olga about this during another podcast and she was like, yeah. it's the performance that's the most important yeah. thing and all the other things are just tiny tweaks. Yeah. But... <laughs> Sometimes, again, just going back to the SM7 Another useful thing about it is it does have an internal shock mount to mm. it. So you can hold it in your hand. Okay, yeah. And I've done that. I've had people kind of walking around the whole studio just kind of yeah. singing their vocals. Cool. That's not best practice. Yeah. Because they're, in inverted commas, too close to the mic mm, mm. when they're doing that. But mm. that's that's sometimes beside the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the next question we had from Ryan KP from Melbourne. So he asked, what is your favourite method to record acoustic guitars? And what do you think of the MS technique? Now, I don't know what that is. So okay. we'll just explain that quickly. So the MS technique. Um, oh, gosh, that's quite a hard one to explain. So MS is when you have two mics. Yeah. You put one on cardioid and you point it directly at the thing you're recording. Yeah. And then you put a second mic kind of over the top or as close to the same position as possible. And then the one that you put above, you put on figure of eight and you put it at 90 degrees. So the blind side of that figure of eight pattern mm. is pointed at the source. Mm, 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 mm. And um, that's your M and S, so your mid and side. Yeah. So one is pointed directly to, and then the other one is kind of the side of it. Which yeah, exactly. Which you wouldn't technically pick up in your, um, or not much of it through your figure of eight. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of... The, the side um, aspect of it is what's happening. Kind of, it's kind of like the ambience, mm. I guess. Or I guess what is your favourite way to record um, acoustic, acoustic guitar? guitars? Sticking a mic in front of it. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but, Good, no, nice and easy. Yeah. Um, um, but, I mean, it, yeah, again, it, it, it depends. Um, <laughs> I, but I I don't record acoustic guitar in stereo that much. Right, okay. Um, but that's... Again, that's that's to do with the types of material yeah. that I'm typically recording. Yeah. I don't record very many songs where the acoustic guitar is the is the like the main element. Yeah. Um and I find that say say I've got a kind of like a, a rock band and mm -hmm. they do an acoustic guitar overdub mm -hmm. to add some kind of a bit of bit of spice or a bit yeah. of vibe. I I normally find that this recording it in stereo is a bit 
a, a bit irritating yeah. once I come to mix it and okay. I go, oh, maybe I'll just drop this. Yeah. Because whenever you set up more than one mic, you've got um, you've got to that you've got to get them working together. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can that can take some time. Mm. Um, and if you don't do it right, you can you you can quite often get a worse sound with two mics than yeah. you can with one. Yeah, yeah. Like more mics is not not better always better because yeah. they the way that the mics combine. Um, I'm not sure if you really want to get into this, well, but it is, yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite <laughs> it, well. It's an important point actually. Um, when you've got different mics at different distances from a sound source the sound arrives at those mics at different times mm. but when you combine them in your door you play them back at the same time mm. um and you get i'm not going to go into what things like comb filtering are necessarily but it, it can make it sound bad yeah basically yeah. so whenever you're putting more than one mic on something you want to make sure that your mics are either the same distance from the source or um, I think I, I think you kind of call it the rule of three or something. You make sure that your mics are very different distances apart mm. from the source. So mm. if you've got something that's um, three inches from the guitar, your second mic probably wants to be at least nine inches away. Yeah. Or centimeters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then our last question was from Rona Castriotti from London. So she asked two types of mic setups, but mm. um, she mentioned the Eddie Kramer or the Glenn Johns drum miking technique. Mm. Um, but let's just go with, because I think we're going to go a bit too long if we explain what those are, but yeah. um, what is your favourite way to mic up drums? Uh, well, my favourite way is the Glenn Johns way, actually. Okay, so, oh, great. Good. <laughs> so, that's, uh, Good. so that's handy. Yeah, yeah um, again, going into what those actual mic setups are, trying to explain that, only on a podcast is going to be mm. a bit futile. Um, mm. You can you can look them up online and see a picture, yeah, and that yeah. will explain what those things are. But yeah, yeah the Glyn Johns technique um, is awesome. Yeah, cool. Um, it's kind of a variation of what we call AB or space pair, um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's it's Glyn Johns usually with coals, which I don't think is necessarily strict in the strictest sense the actual glenn john's method is that a mic coles so coles sorry yeah the coles uh coles 4038 right. is the okay. ribbon the 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 ribbon mics that i mentioned earlier right. which okay. are built the same way as they were in the 50s right so they're, okay, they're, okay. they're yeah. sometimes called the bbc mics right okay um okay cool so the glenn john's method yeah. has one and we can look that up yeah. um it's all, it's exactly also, how that's mic'd. It's also the technique that takes a long time to master. Oh, okay, so, cool. <laughs> so cool. do so. not. I wouldn't recommend starting with that as your as your kind of drum miking. It takes practice to get okay. that one right. Okay, and the most simple, like really quickly, simple setup for drums. Just one, one, one mic. Well, maybe okay. maybe two. Um, one one thing that I like to remind people of is you you do people do record drums in stereo a lot mm. but it, you don't have to mm. like it was all right for the beatles recorded all their drums in mono oh, right. it, and they they did all right yeah you know? oh, i reckon um so yeah i guess you stick one mic above the kit yeah kind of just right over the top yeah 
and then that will usually give you a pretty decent sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and then perhaps one mic on the on the bass drum because mm-hmm. you're not gonna if you've got a mic right over the kit, you're gonna get mm-hmm. a lot of cymbals. You're not gonna get a lot of the the bottom end from yeah. the from the kick drum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one on the snare. So yeah. three, I mean, I could get a decent drum sound with three yeah. mics. Again, cool. takes a bit of practice. Yeah, but. It's all about where done. you place the mics. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, cool. I think we've covered quite a lot there, and um, yeah, yeah. But I think that's um, that's really helpful and um, a good starting point for someone. I think that mm-hmm. isn't sure really where to get started on mics. So um, thank you so much, Dan. No, it's my been pleasure. An absolute pleasure, and um, thank you again, and have a great day. Thanks for having me.